Hello and welcome to another edition of Holy Crap It's Sports. It's issue number 14, episode number 14 for our lovely May 2nd. A Thursday here in 2019 from the Palatial Studios located in downtown Sandy Springs, Georgia. Hi, I'm Pete Davis. I'm your host, bringing you another fine, fine example of baseball talk. We have so much to talk about because I've missed a couple days here. So we're going to get right to it. What's going on here? By the way, you can always follow me here at Pete Davis One on Twitter, Pete Davis, the number one, or you can uh, reach me through email at Pete Davis One at yahoo.com. So here's what's on the agenda, and hopefully we'll get uh, to all of this. Tim Anderson of the White Sox thinks he's the new Jackie Robinson. Well, think again, dickhead. I'm going to have reacts from other people, not just me, talking about. Uh, Mr. Anderson. Uh, more MLB Network stupidity, and yes, that means you, Greg Amsinger, and Dan Plesak. The Jeopardy King wants to conquer baseball next after he's defeated Alex Trebek. Blooper the mascot versus Manny Machado. Who wins? The Red Sox have stopped playing Fortnite and good baseball, it seems. How to not catch a foul ball with food in your hand. A bizarre stat about Max Scherzer and Chris Sale. And uh, what's it mean if you're in first place on May 1st? What does it mean when you're in last place on May 1st? We'll have a little history behind that. Injuries to Kluber and Pollock. Thor goes deep into Asgard. And, of course, this day in baseball history. So let's get to it here. It's going to be a quite a full game. Uh, I think you've heard by now about Tim uh, Tim Anderson of uh, the White Sox, who's off to a very good start this year. It's took him a while, but here he is, and he's playing very well. He uh, said in the Sports Illustrated or SI.com story a while back, comparing himself to Jackie Robinson. Here's what he said. I kind of feel like today's Jackie Robinson. That's huge to say, but it's cool, man, because he changed the game. And I feel like I'm getting to a point to where I need to change the game, end quote. Who the hell do you think you are? You just started playing well. Why don't you get a couple years under your belt before you start running your mouth? I have no problem with you showboating out there. That's fine. Great. But for you to be running your mouth saying you're Jackie Robinson, and here's my main problem with Tim Anderson about that. His bat flip to celebrate the home run back April 17th led to him getting plunked by the Royals' Brad Keller in his next at-bat, which, of course, ignited the bench-clearing scrap during which Anderson reportedly, and here's my problem, used the N-word. I'm not going to use the N-word. I've never liked the N-word. But Tim Anderson, who is an African-American, thinks, okay, fine, not only can I say it to my friends or in my my own crib, but I can say it out there where people and cameras and microphones can pick it up on the field. And he said it to uh, Keller, who happens to be a Caucasian. Well, MLB suspended Anderson just one game. Uh Uh-uh. He's got to get more than that for just for throwing the N-word around there. Keller got five, which is the equivalent of one start. So Anderson wasn't through with that. As to why he used the N-word, he told SI.com he should not have even been suspended. Why? Because MLB has a mostly white hierarchy. Are you telling me that if you're a white person in charge, you can't suspend a black person anymore, even when the black person does something wrong? Is that where we are right now? And uh, here's this quote from Anderson. The N-word, that's a word that's in my vocabulary, end quote. Well, that's why I called you a dickhead. See, I may be of an older generation, but our generation tried to get rid of that word. In fact, we didn't like that word, and we didn't use that word. Your stupid young generation has brought the word back. 
And what kills me is Jackie Robinson fought for decades to try and get people to stop using that word. And you and your great wisdom, Tim Anderson, have brought the word back. Uh, please. Anderson said he is unbothered by any pushback and reiterated his stance that the game needs more life. Here's my problem number two with Mr. Anderson. He goes, uh, yeah, I think it does because the game is boring. A lot of fans don't watch, I'll admit. So you try to do something to make these fans want to come back and make these kids want to come to the ballpark. Yeah, I'm going to do whatever it takes to draw these fans to the south side. Does that mean throwing the N-word around? I'm going to do something different every day. Whatever it is, it don't matter. Uh, it doesn't matter. That's English. But anyway, in quote. So that's Tim Anderson. The game's boring. Okay, I know you're really good at the game for the last month or so. But uh, frankly, if the game's so boring, why the hell don't you just quit and go home or go do something else? Hmm? Why don't you just go into uh, gangster rap so you can throw the N-word around as much as you want? Unbelievable. The game is born. He plays baseball. Why the hell are you playing? Is it just to make money? Who wants to cheer for a guy who's just out there running through the motions, even if those motions are pretty good? It's, it's unbelievable. So here's some reaction. It's not just me is upset about this guy. Frankly, there should be a lot of people upset about it. I haven't heard a lot of caterwauling, but maybe that's just me. Maybe the game has passed me by. I should throw the N-word around more. Maybe I'd be cool like Tim Anderson. But anyway... Here's what Caleb had to say. He tweeted about this. You know how I want to see the game change? I want to see pitchers like Nolan Ryan, who not only pitched for 27 years, he would pitch a complete game even if he was losing. I want to see players like George Brett and Pete Rose, who play each game like it was their last. I want to see hitters like Tony Gwynn take pride in their hitting abilities and stop striking out 150 more times a year. I want to see base runners like Ricky Henderson and Vince Coleman, who could turn a single or a walk into a triple. I want to see the shift outlawed and require players to just play the game like it was played in the glory days of baseball. Now, Caleb doesn't say when those glory days were, but I'm thinking he's somewhere between 1920 oh, and 1990. <laughs> maybe, maybe after that, it kind of, kind of went down. Uh, Alex says, the look at me movement has infected every aspect of our lives. And he's right, because basically it's Tim Anderson out there. Look at me, look at me, look at me. So when Tim Anderson, the next time he hits a home run, does he grab his crotch and do the Michael Jackson all the way around to the, to the strains of beat it going over the airways? Is that going to be cool too? Is that going to bring more attention to the game? Is that the attention that uh, Major League Baseball wants? They suspended him one game, and he yelled the N-word to another player. Can you imagine if Keller, who was white, had called Anderson the N-word? What do you think would have happened then? Anyway, let's go to uh, MLB Network. You know, I'm really starting to despise MLB Network. I am at some point going to go down the list of everybody I would fire if I was in charge there. And surprisingly, it's not the majority of people there, which really shocked me when I went down the list. But anyway, Paige uh, pointed out that uh, Brian Kenny makes me puke. Cannot watch or listen to him anymore. Just awful. My problem with Kenny, and he's a very good broadcaster, and he knows a lot of stuff. Brian Kenny doesn't like the game of baseball. Brian Kenny is in love with numbers. And the game, to him, the game of baseball is just an entity there to generate numbers for him to play with. My other problem with right now, I was watching the MLB Network a couple nights ago, and they brought out that moron Dan Plesak once again. I don't see how the hell this guy's got a job. But anyway, they call him DJ Dan, and he puts on his sunglasses, and he pretends he's using the old turntable there and spinning records. And uh, he started doing a little sing-song there, and it was like, are you four? 
are you a 50-year-old man? Are you four? And, uh, and then there's also Greg Amsinger, the mouth breather, who was just egging him on. And I felt bad for Harold Reynolds, who was just laughing and going along with it. But Harold's got to be thinking to himself, what the blank is going on here? I'm stuck between these morons. Anyway, so moving on. A guy who is not a moron is James Holzhauer, who is a kid growing up outside of Chicago, according to Allison Footer at MLB.com, came home from school every day, turned on the TV, and turned on his two great loves, Cubs baseball games and Jeopardy episodes, which were both on in the afternoon. Then he said, my dad would come home from work and turn the TV off, but it's okay, I already had my fun. So most kids are asked at least once in their childhood that standard question, what do you want to be when you grow up? Well, Holzhauer had two items on his list, to be a contestant on Jeopardy and work in a Major League Baseball front office. You know, I always thought I'd be good on Jeopardy. But here's, I even lived out in San Diego for three years. My mother kept saying, why don't you drive up to L.A. and get on Jeopardy? But here's, here's what I thought. My greatest fear was that I'd get on there and either two things would happen. One, all the categories would be science. Or two, I'd be up against Ken Jennings or James Holzhauer, a guy that never loses. Anyway, he's 34 years old. His winnings are now over $1,500,000. I don't know how he did last night. This is as of Wednesday, um, April 3rd. No, May 1st. Uh, he tweeted, Hosehauer did, I always dreamed of working in an MLB front office and running baseball, but I have to settle for running Jeopardy instead. So you go, well, how is he doing this? How is he winning so much? Well, the guy has used his sports betting background in Vegas to strategize how he approaches the board of clues. He leverages the limited time he has to accumulate the most assets. Starts at the bottom. You know, most people start at the top. This guy starts at the bottom. The high dollar answers are placed. He builds up equity there, then searches for the hidden daily double clues where he pretty much bets the house and doubles his already sizable total. Basically, he bets almost everything. His, as they describe, stoic risk-taking is his biggest advantage over his competitors. As a sports better, wagering large or even eye-popping sums of money doesn't phase this guy. He lets the probabilities dictate his every move. Well, the other people, you know, you know Jeopardy contestant, they're usually kind of mousy, maybe a librarian from Des Moines or somewhere like that, not that there's anything wrong with that, and they're not used to wagering everything, throwing it all to the dice, risking it. In fact, probably the biggest risk of their lives is driving or flying out to LA and getting on Jeopardy. Anyway, so let's have a little more fun here. We've had kind of serious stuff. Let's get a little fun here. Blooper is the Braves mascot. He got booed rather hardly when he was first introduced a while back, but now people are getting along with him. He reminds a lot of people he's based on the Phillies fanatic and all that stuff. And Blooper's doing a pretty good job, and he did a great job this week, unlike the Braves, at home against the Padres, because of course Manny Machado was in town with the Pods for the four games, and Machado on Monday duped Blooper with the classic schoolyard prank, basically pointed at his chest, and Blooper looks down, and he pops him in the the face. Okay, so he did something else to him uh, on Tuesday. Uh, Basically, Blooper was shining his shoe and uh, didn't get a tip from Manny Machado. So on Wednesday, Blooper finally had had enough. He's going to get Machado. So he came up with what looked like an innocent request. He had a big poster and wanted an autograph to join the other Padres' autographs on his poster. So Machado was a little suspicious, but then he said, oh, okay, well, fine. And the blooper pointed to the lower right-hand corner, this space right here. That's where I want your autograph because you're my favorite player, right? Well, it turns out after Manny signed it, the sign was actually a huge check, you know, like the golf checks, made out to blooper for $300 million dollars. 
the exact value of the contract that Machado inked with the Padres in the offseason. So when Machado realized what had happened, Blooper took off running, which is kind of funny. He took off running, uh, kept looking back over his shoulder as Machado stood there with his arms out. And the other Padres were actually laughing, thinking it was pretty damn funny. Well, today, which is Thursday, the last of the four-game set was the two-team split. Machado got his revenge. Uh, Blooper was sitting out on the field with an umbrella, drinking a Mai Tai, sitting in a lounge chair, just living a good life. I think he had a, a waiter there, Jeeves, to hand him his next drink and all that. And all of a sudden, he had the check next to him. And Machado ran up and grabbed the check and ran to the uh, dugout and then had a rather large security guard keep Blooper out. So it was actually a pretty funny four four games there. And you know what? That's the fun. I know it's kind of old-fashioned. Yeah, what do I know? My Cracker Jacks now? But I like Cracker Jacks, by the way, um, even though the prizes suck now. But anyway... What was my point? My point being there, that's more of the kind of fun baseball really needs to get with the fans and something for that to go viral more than Tim Anderson yelling the N-word on the field. That's just me. I welcome yours. Now I'm going to have me a little drink here. What are we going to have tonight? How about a Stroh's fire-brewed beer from the lovely Detroit Brewery? Do they even make Stroh's anymore? Mm-mm-mm. All right, back to baseball. And you're listening to Holy Crap, It's Sports with Pete Davis. You can't be losing and playing Fortnite. Guess what? The Red Sox made headlines last year for their fondness of playing that video game, have now removed it from the clubhouse. According to uh, WEEI Boston's Rob Bradford, several players have told him that the team decided time spent playing the game in the clubhouse had reached the point where it was becoming counterproductive to putting their best foot forward on the field. Nathan Navaldi told him, I haven't seen it this year. Usually everybody had it set up in their lockers, but I haven't seen it. Meanwhile, David Price uh, said, uh, well, actually they blamed David Price's carpal tunnel injury earlier in the year on that last year. Anyway, this year it's back to cards and crossword puzzles. Evaldi said, I think there's a time and place for it. Maybe if we were doing a little better, maybe we'd be doing it. But you can't be losing and playing Fortnite in the clubhouse. And I think he's right. Even though clubhouses are so luxurious these days, they can do anything in there. Uh, The Blue Jays and the Rangers also have rules governing Fortnite. And perhaps the Red Sox have now decided to follow them. Because the Red Sox right now are 14 and 17. And now how to catch a foul ball while holding some food. This happened in San Francisco. Andrew Mirrens on MLB.com did the story. If you're going to try and catch a foul ball while holding some food, you better know how to do it because you don't know what you're sacrificing. A Dodgers fan learned that difficult lesson lesson during Wednesday night's game against the Giants. He had an entire plate of French fries when he jumped up to snare a pop-up from Russell Martin, one-handed, and the results were, let's say, mixed. Uh, A lot of fries hit the ground, but he got the ball. I'd give up a plate of fries to get a baseball. I would do that. But then he was thinking, okay, I got the ball, but I'm still hungry. I'm not going to eat the ball, so I'm going to go get a slice of pizza. And as fate would have it, another foul ball came his way an inning later, courtesy of Tyler Austin. The fan was holding a plate of pizza and again tried to make the one-handed catch. Again, he failed. He did. Excuse me. He didn't even get to keep the foul ball this time. It chucks me up even thinking about it. All that pizza, all those French fries wasted. I hope hope it was garlic fries. They're big on the garlic fries out in San Francisco. And I got to tell you, that's one of the most disgusting things I've ever even come close to putting in my mouth. Uh, Now a good 
a stat here from Pete Abraham who tweeted, the Nationals and Red Sox are 1-12 in in games started by the 2018 All-Star Game starters Max Scherzer and Chris Sale. 1-12 with those two guys on the mound. So Jason Stark said, that's very possibly the most bizarre stat of the year. Now, stats. What does it mean to enter May in first place? Well, Sarah Langs of Slings on Sports has come up with a very interesting article about this. Since 1996, the first full season with at least one wild card in each league after the 95 campaign was limited to 144 games due to the player strike. Just 73 of the 138 eventual division champions held at least a share of their division lead entering May 1st. That's 53%. In the American League, all three teams that were leading their divisions entering May, the Red Sox, Indians, and Astros, went on to win those divisions. In the National League, it was the exact opposite. The Mets, Cubs, and D-backs each led. None went on to win their division. Since 1996, 15 of the 23 World Series winners led their divisions entering May, so it's a good thing, including each of the past six. Hmm. On Tuesday night, the Dodgers became the first team in the majors to reach 20 games this season. So what does that portend? Well, the club that got to 20 wins the fastest or tied for the fastest has won the World Series each of the past three years. In 2017, the Astros reached 20 wins on the, with the same day as the Nationals did. Well, the Nationals didn't even get to the World Series, never have. And Houston went on to win the Fall Classic. So what about the hope for the uh, current last place teams? The most recent clubs to be in the, your rides here, the most recent clubs to be in the cellar to begin May that went on to make the playoffs were the 2015 Blue Jays and Rangers. Both of them won their divisions. Hmm, both of those teams have stopped playing Fortnite coincidence league-wide we've already seen more home runs this april than any other april in major league history the previous record for the month was 931 in april of 2000 19 years ago that was broken sunday when eric sogard hit the second homer of the day we finished the month 1010 long balls which broke the previous record by a lot Uh, The record-breaking homer season of 2017, which featured 6,105 jacks when there had never been more than 5,600, did not set the April home run record. That means we could be headed this year to another record in home runs. Okay, what other home runs are exciting? The problem with that is the uptick in home runs usually comes with more strikeouts. Boring. With that in mind, we finished April 6,799 Ks, breaking the previous April record of 66.56 from just last season. The strikeout record for the season has been set each year, beginning with 2008, and this year will probably continue the trend. That's what makes the game boring, and that's what the Brian Kinneys of the world have brought us, the uh, three true outcomes and all that crap. And him saying for years that the strikeout was no worse than any other out. Even Houston, even Houston, the guys running that team, who are more analytics than any other team in baseball for the past few years, even those guys are saying, uh, that's not true. We've come to a decision. You know, striking out with men and runners in scoring position or not moving a runner over with a ground, ground out or a fly ball or something, that's wrong. And it's like the old timers say. Put the ball in play and something good may happen. 
which is what Noah Syndergaard did uh, in the one nothing shutout victory uh, the Mets had over the Reds today, Thursday, May 2nd. Syndergaard, who is now 2-3, and three, struck out 10, allowed four hits in his third career complete game. He also became just the first pitcher in 36 years to homer and throw a shutout. The previous pitcher to homer in a one nothing complete game win was the Dodgers' Bob Welch against the Reds back in June 17, 1983. Syndergaard is only the seventh pitcher to accomplish this feat since 1920, the beginning of the live ball era. Reds leadoff hitter Jesse Winker got an earful for the Mets fans. Now here's more good fun with the fans after waving tauntingly at the City Field faithful following a pair of victories earlier in the series. Winker was booed prior to his first at-bat and waved sarcastically, <laughs> the fans waving at him, after striking out in the fifth and the, the first and the sixth inning. Then jeers peaked in the ninth when Winker was ejected, arguing balls and strikes with the plate umpire Marty Foster. So, but that was good fun he was having. He was waving to the fans, and they were giving. And come on, Mets fans give as good as they take. At least they say they do. So they can handle it. Bad news for the Mets, though. Juris Familiar has not been effective so far, and now he won't be for a while longer. Uh, the struggling reliever placed on the 10-day injured list on Wednesday, a sore right shoulder one day after he blew that save chance against Cincinnati. Familiar does have a what they call a Bennett lesion. I wonder how Bennett thinks about that, which is basically a bone spur, which he's dealt with for years and flares up every now and then. Uh, very bad news for the Indians. Right-hander Corey Kluber, a non-displaced fracture of his right ulna. He was hit in the arm by a line drive off the bat of Marlins outfitter Brian Anderson on Wednesday. And uh, he didn't even try and pick up the ball. He tried to throw the ball to first base with his glove hand. Uh, Kluber, so far this season, his ERA is at 5.80. And uh, the Indians are already without starter Mike Clevenger, who is out until at least June with a back injury. So they're going to have to start really, really picking it up on the bats out there. Uh, also, Dodgers center fielder A.J. Pollock is going to need surgery. He's got an infection in his surgically repaired right elbow. Manager Dave Roberts says there's no timeline on how long Pollock will be sidelined, but he does expect him to be back sometime this season. The former All-Star and Gold Glove winner bumped his elbow over the weekend in Chicago, leading to an infection in his bursa sack. Uh, Robert said doctors are unable to treat the infection with antibiotics because he already has a plate in his elbow. So they're going to have to go in there and take out this three-year-old plate they put in there and uh, take it out so they can get to it with the antibiotics. That sounds disgusting. The 31-year-old Pollock signed a $55 million four-year contract with the Dodgers this offseason, but he's been struggling, hitting just 223 with two homers, 14 RBIs in 28 games. And I think this is going to be a player we look back on and the elbow injuries kept him from being a damn good all-star for years years and years well you like good names in baseball where you're about to get one for the oakland a's their offense sucks so far so basically they're going to go down to triple a las vegas and pull up their number 19 prospect sky bolt s-k-y-e bolt as the kimmer said today on uh, the kimmer show his sister lightning is happy about this by the way, you can uh, listen to me do sports between 5.10 and 5.25 p.m., Monday through Friday, uh, on the Kimmer Show. That's from 3 to 5 in the afternoon, and uh, it's on Talk 106.7 FM Atlanta while we're still on the air. They've sold the station out from under us. I'm legally obligated to tell you that. So before we get into this day in baseball history, I'm going to take another drink of a fine gulp of Stroh's Fire Brewed Beer. 
I will imagine it's Droz. It's really just water from Kroger. And I found out usually the water doesn't go out of date there like their deli food. Anyway, today in baseball history, May 2nd. On this day in 1901, after the Tigers took the lead in the top of the inning in Chicago's Southside Park, the White Sox slowed down their pace of the game in hopes the contest would be rained out because the weather front was moving in. And I guess they could see that even back there before Doppler radar. Umpire Tom Connolly was not impressed, forfeited the game, the first in American League history, and gave Detroit the victory, 7-5. On this day in 1909, Pirates infielder Honus Flying Dutchman Wagner stole his way around the bases in a nightcap of a twin bill against Chicago at Pittsburgh's Expositions Park, where they couldn't see him. He had Not only did he steal second, third, and home, he had three additional stolen bases, two walks, uh, hit by a pitch, two errors, and two hits as the Bucks uh, won and swept the twin bill. 1917 on this date at Wiegman Park, which uh, didn't later become regularly. Southpaw James Hippo Vaughn, a great name of Chicago, and Reds righty Fred Tony throw no hitters against one another through the first nine innings. The deadlock broken in the top of the tenth with a one-out single by Larry Kopp, an error and an infield hit by none other than Jim Thorpe. And Tony then set the Cubs down in order to preserve his extra inning no-no. On this day in 1920, the first game of the National Negro Baseball League is played in Indianapolis when the hometown ABCs beat the Chicago Giants at Washington Park 4-2. Now, Scorlings Park, the home field of the Giants, will be unavailable for another month due to the occupation of the National Guard stationed there. Now, why is the National Guard in Chicago in 1919? Well, that was because of the Great Chicago Race Riot of 1919, prompting the delay of the inaugural season of the Negro Baseball League in the Windy City, which I don't know, man. I didn't read that about that in the history books because they told us all the bad race problems were in the South. Chicago? Unbelievable. 1923 on this date, Senator right-hander Walter Johnson tossed his 100th career shutout. Holy cow. Nowadays, pitchers break open the champagne when they get one shutout. He had 100 on this date, and he wasn't through. He blanked the Yankees at Griffith Stadium 3-zip. During his 21-year career, the big train, this is the major league record, whitewashed his opponents 110 times. On this date, 1939, before a game with the Tigers in Detroit, Lou Gehrig told his manager, Joe McCarthy, I'm benching myself for the good of the team. His record streak of playing straight games ended 2,130 consecutive games. On this day in 1944, the Marine Corps commissioned 25-year-old Red Sox outfitter Ted Williams, who got his pilot wings as a second lieutenant. A future Hall of Famer fighting in both World War II and Korea will miss five years of playing time during his career. Imagine what he would have done. This date, 1951, as a pinch hitter, Lou Limmer, the original Limmer, not Mark Lemke, it was Lou Limmer, goes deep off Tigers right-hander Saul Rogovin in the top of the ninth and tied the game at 3-3 in the A's eventual extra-inning loss at Briggs Stadium. The at-bat marked the first time in Major League history that a Jewish batter faces a Jewish pitcher with a Jewish catcher behind the plate by the name of Joe Ginsburg. On this day in 1954, in a twin bill at Sportsman Park, in St. Louis, eight-year-old Nate Colbert, I got his baseball card, watches the Cardinals' Stan Musial become the first major leaguer to hit five home runs in the doubleheader. So in 1972, 
Uh, what's that? Uh, 16, 17, 18 years later, as a 26-year-old Padres first baseman, Nate Colbert will become only the second major leaguer to repeat this feat. By the way, my uh, baseball card I have a Nate is not of him as an eight-year-old. On this day in 1964 at Memorial Stadium in Baltimore, the Orioles host Safety Patrol Day to honor students who help their schoolmates travel to and from school safely. You remember, everybody had the orange belts. They wouldn't let me be one. They gave free admission to 20,000 kids from around the state of Maryland to come to the Orioles game against the Indians. Unfortunately, a freak accident involving an escalator to the upper deck causes the death of one teenage girl and injures 46 others when something called a people channeler, a device to control the crowding of patrons getting onto the escalator, was stupidly left on top of the escalator, which restricted the flow of kids trying to get off. Excuse me, trying to get off the escalator. The blockage caused children to fall back onto one another when they could not exit at the same pace as the people getting on at the bottom of the escalator, and it suddenly became a Who concert. That was in Cincinnati. On this day in 1968, Mets hitter Bud Harrelson became the first batter in baseball history to gain a 3-0 ball strike count from the on-deck circle. When umpire Ed Vargo penalized Phillies reliever John Boozer, another great name, for going to his mouth inside the 18-foot circle of the mound. Philadelphia manager Gene Mock, so pissed off about this, orders his pitcher to do it again. And then do it again. So it's ball three, which promptly gets his right-hander and himself thrown out of the game by Ed Vargo. They eventually lose the game to the Mets. On this day in 1988, Pete Rose, angry because of Dave Pallone's delayed call, allows the eventual game-winning run to score, becomes the first manager to be suspended for an on-field incident when National League President Bart Giamatti issues a 30-day suspension for his shoving of the first-base umpire. The ugly argument resulted in the fans throwing trash into the field, temporarily delaying the game, and making it necessary for the arbitrator to be removed from the game to calm tempers. Now, there's more. There's a backstory to this. Dave Pallone, who was later fired by MLB and wrote a book claiming he was fired because he was the first gay umpire to come out. Now, I don't remember if he came out while he was still an umpire or if he came out right afterwards, but it was known in the game. I interviewed Dave Pallone back in the 1980s and uh, when, he, when the book came out, and he told me then that there were several all-stars that were gay. And that he had, you know, he wouldn't say, you know, he had been with some, but he had been with one of them down in the islands. I don't know where Dave Pallone is now. He was a, he was a, a decent guy. He gave a great interview. And the, the book, I don't think I ever got around to reading it, but uh, the excerpts that he talked about during the interview were kind of fascinating there. I don't know what happened to that book because I was going to read it. Anyway, um, Dave Pallone. And one of the reasons he said afterward that Pete Rose was so pissed is that Pete was maybe saying some things to him because Pete knew he was gay. I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, Bart Giamatti came down on him very hard. And I think Bart Giamatti would not be the type of person to put up with something like that. On this date, 1993, Jeff Bronke picks up a save in his big league debut, tossing three scoreless innings against the Brewers. Uh, the 27-year-old Rangers reliever became the first person born in... Afghanistan to play in the major leagues. Jeff Bronke, born in Kabul, Afghanistan. On this date, 1999, Nike's Chicks Dig the Long Ball commercial, remember that one? Starring Tom Glavin and Greg Maddox, aired for the first time. The ad on TV depicted the Braves hurlers, both who had won multiple Cy Young awards, as pitchers who want to become worshipped home run heroes after watching <laughs> Mark McGuire 
be cooed on by, uh, that's C-O-O-E-D, cooed on like a pigeon by Heather Locklear. Well, that would do it for me. On this date, by the way, if you're watching the Netflix uh, story, uh, the movie The Dirt, it's the story of Motley Crue. I'll tell you what. I, I was out there in, in uh, Southern California when they first hit back in the 80s, and I wasn't a big Motley Crue fan. I actually knew some of the guys from Rat. They would come into our uh, record store in San Diego. Uh, I wasn't big in the heavy metal, that hair bear scenes or hair band scenes. But I tell you what, watching that uh, movie, I wish I'd gone up to L.A. and partied with these guys because Motley Crue had a good time. Anyway, and uh, the reason I bring that up is because Heather Locklear married the drummer. Tommy. So, it was, is that the same Tommy that did the video with uh, Pamela? And Anyway, I don't want to go anymore because I don't want to put a foot in my mouth. <laughs> Bad pun, which I stole from the newsmaker guy, Jim Gossett. Anyway, finally, on this date in 2000, en route to the team's ninth division title in 10 years, the Braves win their 15th consecutive game when they beat L.A. at Chavez Ravine 5-3. to the winning streak, which began on April 16th, ties the Atlanta record. Well, you've heard of episode 14 of Holy Crap at Sports. I hope you appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed it. If you do, if you can always uh, help support it on Patreon.com, go on there and you can always w- listen to it here on, let's see, on my Facebook page, the Kimmer's Facebook page, on my Twitter account, at Pete Davis one Follow me there. I also put it up on, uh, what else, iTunes. It shows up on iTunes, Stitcher, all kinds of great places. Uh, Google, somebody asked me to put it up on Google Play or whatever they do, and Google's a pain in the ass. Let me put it that way. Maybe it's because they don't like my Apple computer that I'm, I'm on. I don't know what it is about it. But anyway, episode 14 in the books. Hope you had a great May Day for our pagan fans out there. Happy, happy Beltane. I hope you got your, your cows driven through the two bonfires for this and taking them to the summer pasture and all that. Once again, my name is Pete Davis. Enjoyed being with you. And uh, everybody have a lovely rest of the evening.